Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Greetings. Welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Our guest is Krista Voda, the host of NASCAR America on NBC Sports Network. We touch on this, but I go way back with Krista, nearly 14 years to my first full-time season covering NASCAR. Krista and I have some things in common. We both grew up in the Midwest. We both have an appreciation of craft beer, and we both were relatively new to NASCAR when we joined its media corps. Of course, inexperience never would be evident with Krista, who is among the smoothest and most professional hosts you'll find anywhere. Aside from being a terrifically prepared wordsmith, she has a great knack for leading discussions on live television. And of course, she has two able cohorts in that regard with Dale Jarrett and Kyle Petty. So we discussed her rapport with DJ and Kyle, how she approaches the job of hosting NASCAR America, her roots in Iowa, and what the addition of Iowa Speedway, where NASCAR is racing this weekend, has meant to her home state. And then we also talked hair metal, pop culture, motherhood, and competitive tractor pulling, which are all part of Krista's very busy and eclectic life. As always, we appreciate you listening. Please leave a rating or review on iTunes or send me feedback on Twitter. That's at Nate Ryan. And without further ado, here's our conversation with Krista. Okay, joined now by Krista Voda, who has just arrived in Stanford, Connecticut, where she's going to be hosting NASCAR America this week. Did you have a good flight in? Everything went well, I hope? I did. I did. It's sort of my, my normal commute. You know, it seemed, I don't know if normal is the right word when you, you your commute happens out of an airport, but um, <laughs> it's that's that's my normal, which so many, so many of us in the business, I mean, that is sort of the norm but for me it's i literally pay my bills like i'll be walking through the airport and realize oh i have a couple of bills in my purse i didn't mail out and then i stop at the there's a post office in the pittsburgh airport and i swear they know me by name because that's like where i i do my my bills so it's it's kind of funny but it was interesting this morning because i was at the airport at 4 30 yes 4 40 a.m and literally saw the worker the guys rolling the racks of Stanley Cup championship gear through the hallways. And I tried to get a picture of it, and I wasn't quick enough, so I just got one quick while they were, like, setting it up. But it was really exciting. It's, you know, it's kind of cool that, um, you know, that's going on, you know, just a few hours removed from, from the Penguins winning the Stanley Cup. Obviously, a lot of uh, excitement in the city of Pittsburgh. And for those who don't know, um, Krista and her husband, uh, PK, we call him PK. His actual name is Phil Kelly. Um, is that's, he, is no, he... that's what I call him PK. You call him PK. <laughs> Everybody can call him Pete, then, if you do. Okay. Uh, is he from Pittsburgh originally? He is. Yep. Okay. Yep. He was born, born and bred in Pittsburgh. Okay. So obviously, I I feel bad that you had a four thirty a.m. wake up call because I would think that life in the Kelly household last night got maybe a little bit rambunctious, a little bit excited, a lot of celebrating. It was real watching. I mean, I wouldn't say we necessarily. I mean, we're as parents. I don't know if like you really 
you can only do so much. You know what I mean? Like the, the <laughs> child is in bed. I had an early morning um, flight. So we definitely had it on. We watched. And um, I think it was really fun to watch sort of the local news coverage after the fact. Um, you know, we stayed with the, with the broadcast network and then um, the local, even just showing the, the madness that was going on in the streets of Pittsburgh. But um, I joked because since they won it on the road, you know, in San Jose, I said to, to PK, I'm like, you know, there's a lot of people who should consider themselves lucky that it didn't go to a Game 7 at home. He's like, why is that? I said, because think of how many people would be arrested right now. Like, they'll be doing something <laughs> dumb, you know, doing something. So I feel like it saved them jail time. So that's that's the positive of not winning at home. But it was still really cool. Um, you know, the city is just it's such a sports town. Yeah. You know, Steelers, even the Pirates event, you know, the last few years um, have, have, have had good teams. And I, it's just a really great kind of raw, gritty sports town. So even though I'm not from there, and, and I would be, I'd be a hypocrite if I said, you know, I live and breathe for those teams winning because I'm not from there. So I can't really, you know, it's not in me, you know, the way the people from Pittsburgh who were born there. But I definitely root for the teams. I mean, the city is more alive. Um, yeah, our household is a lot happier. PK is a lot happier when, when the Penguins win. He played hockey in, in high school, so he's a big hockey nut. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. And you guys made it to game two? Is that right? Yeah, game one. I oh, like game, game one. one. But you know what's funny? I didn't even, here's what's, here's what's kind of funny. I did not take my husband oh. to game one. Um, he stayed <laughs> home with Emmy. He was he took one for the team and watched, and stayed home. And so I took my, my father-in-law. So I took PK's dad and I went to game one, which was, um, which was a blast. That's so we cool. had a good time. That's cool. Yeah, I have um, a really good friend I used to work with at the Richmond, Virginia newspaper who actually drove from Richmond to Pittsburgh to witness Game 5 because, of course, it was going to be the first time in decades that Pittsburgh, as you said, this yep. rabid sports town was about to clinch a championship. Uh, so, yeah, perhaps it was best that it still happened on the road. But if it ever happens at home, I'm sure it'll be uh, an overwhelming experience for everybody there in your town. Well, and PK PK works Game Five, so he he works a lot of hockey games. Oh, good. Um, so oh. he he was there. Yeah, he was there for Game Five, um, too. So it, it, it's just yeah. So I mean, and I would be I'd be remiss if I didn't say. I mean, I know that. I mean, sports is fun. That's why we work in you know we work in sports because it's 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 electric and it's exciting and it's you know the thrill of competition. But yeah. it, it's weird. You know, I was I was sending some tweets out last night. You know, late about congratulating the Penguins. And it just felt a little um, awkward and a little inappropriate because of what's going on in our world right now, you know. And we're just not very far removed from the tragedy in Orlando. And you just—I mean, it's—I mean, gosh, Nate. I mean, we're—it's it, become commonplace for us to hear these stories, but at the same time, it's not. You know, this is not normal behavior. And I, I mean, I literally—I mean, I stood in my living room yesterday, and so on Sunday, you're know, hearing the news, I just cried. You know, not, not knowing any of the victims, but you cry for our society. I cried for what the world's going to be like for, for my daughter, you know. And I think, I was trying to think, what do we do? And I know that there's conversations on, you know, what's the solution? And obviously, if there was just an easy one, it would already have been figured out. But I think you just, I, I don't, I just try to be more, um, you just try to be more kind, you know. And you, right. you smile at people and you offer a compliment when you can. You know, who knows if. Do you tell someone, I really like your shirt or, you know, I really like your smile? And, and maybe that's the, the one nice thing they heard that day and that changes their mood. And I don't know. I just feel like if we were a little more kind to people, I know the world would be a lot better place. So I don't know. Not to go off on another tangent, but I just, no. it's, oh, it's, just, it's heartbreaking and sad and you get mad all at the same time. But I think our country is in a place where we have to change the narrative to, um, one of, of light and hope instead of instead of darkness. I appreciate those thoughts, especially uh, coming from somebody who who works in the sports journalism industry and has throughout your career. I mean, for me, Krista, it's always interesting when when you have tragedies uh, such as there was Sunday, early Sunday morning in Orlando, and you, you work in our job where I, I, I've I've worked in sports journalism all my, all my life now at NBC sports, but prior to that in newspapers and you're always referred to kind of as the toy department. And, right. um, I mean, I, I've been in newsrooms before when major news is broken and we're kind of off in one corner. 
um, doing our thing. Like I can remember in the wake of September 11th, there was hardly a sports section for a couple of days at the Richmond newspaper I was working at at the time. And there was so much important work going on on the other side of the newsroom. And clearly that's where all the attention was. But it's like you still have to sort of find that balance, especially now. It's changed now, like with, I think, in the age of social media, where you were just talking about, I mean, striking that balance sometimes in terms of like disseminating information from our perspective and giving people, as we were just talking about before we started this, like, I feel like it's sports is is always going to be a diversion, I think, from from some of life's great challenges, obstacles, tragedies, however you want to phrase it. And I I don't know if you look at it that way in, in your job, especially like when in your job, you're always kind of like in that hosting position where you're setting the mood and the tone of a program. And is, is that more difficult to do, I guess, when, you know, depending on what's happening in the world or what's happening in, in life in general? Yeah, I mean, because you, you want to do it right. You know, you want to do what's the pulse of what's happening in the world or in the country or in, even in NASCAR. You know, you want to do it justice and you want to, you don't want to be looked at as insensitive because you, you, you're feeling the same thing that people are feeling, you know, mm-hmm. but like you said, at the same time, my job, like today, you know, doing NASCAR America, I mean, nobody's tuning into NASCAR America to hear about um, the latest on the shooting or the, the latest on, you know, so you don't, my job is not to be political, but also I'm a human and I'm feeling what everyone in the country is feeling. So you also want to be respectful of that. Um and I think when we go, you know, I don't know what the right thing to do. I think when we go to Daytona for, for NASCAR on NBC in a couple of weeks, I think there'll probably be, you know, kind of this mood or this feeling, you know, I think the conversation will still be going on. Mm-hmm. But you're right. At the end of the day, I mean, we're we're an escape. You know, we're a we're a place people want to to sort of get back to normal, maybe. And, and it's too soon to probably do that. But, um, you know, I think there's there's a way that you want again not to be cliche but but love has to win out over hate and the right. way you do that is you don't you know, you you find joy in the day and you find you know you continue to offer compliments to people and you continue to to be glad to to be alive and to to be to have another day to, to do something great and make a difference and i think that's how we continue and we just have to do it in a way that the protect you know keeps everyone safe and hopefully our world becomes a better place right. um you know, day to day, but it's, it's tough because it's just, I think we're just so close to it right now. You know, it just yeah. happened. So it, you don't know what to feel and you don't know what to do to, to make things right. Well, I remember, you know, last November when we were in Phoenix, uh, for the cup race weekend, uh, penultimate weekend of the year, obviously a big, a big event in terms of, of NASCAR, but that was on the same weekend as, as the Paris attacks. And, um, mm-hmm. I remember yep. that, that was, a, a discussion topic in in the production meetings that weekend of trying to figure out, hey, like we want to tell people, here's what the track is doing, here's what NASCAR has said, but you, you want to keep the focus. Uh, I, I know that some producers felt like it, it was still very important. Let's keep the focus on on NASCAR because if people were tuning in for for more of the news coverage, they're going to look elsewhere. If they're tuning in here, then as you said, Chris, I mean that's probably what they're looking for is just the, the racing side of things. That's what makes you an excellent host is you have you have a way to to manage the mood as we were just talking <laughs> about and direct it and and t- take that tone in different places. Um, and that was that actually leads into my my next question is how did you become a natural at, at, at being a host? When did you realize that, that this is what you want? I, I was doing some research for this and I know that you were always attracted to language arts and writing and, and you, you knew you wanted to be in that field. That's why you, you majored in, in broadcast journalism. Um, but w- when did you know, I guess, that maybe hosting um, w- w- was the direction you wanted to go in TV? Yeah, I don't know if I necessarily knew it would be hosting. I think, like you said, I, I was naturally drawn to to the spoken word, and kind of wish I had more of a um, math and science brain, but I don't, you know, and I, I was good in those subjects. I mean, I, I had good grades, but it just wasn't what I was drawn to, and so I think it just, you know, I was, uh, you know, I did the, the PA announcements, the public address announcements for high school baseball games. I was on the, did the local, you know, worked at the local radio station um, in my hometown. It was actually an AM station that I would turn off at night. I would go down to the basement and shut off the transmitter at midnight, and the station would go off the air. You know, I was doing that at like 19, you know, years old and it just sort of, it sort of found me, I guess. And so I knew I wanted to do something in broadcasting. Um, and I, ideally, like we were just talking about, I really, 
I competed in sports. I liked sports. It felt more fun than going to than doing news and doing some of these stories that you're seeing on on air right now. It felt like an escape, and I think that's like we were talking about what what makes it what makes our jobs um, enjoyable. So I didn't necessarily. I definitely did not know it would be NASCAR. You know, I was um I grew up stick and ball sports fan. Um, you know, and growing up in Iowa, there's a lot of local short tracks and a lot of tracks around. But I, you know, I was. I mean, I followed college basketball and college football, college wrestling. You know, it was right. so, and I did. I mean, I covered those different markets I worked in. I covered whatever was going on in that TV market. So when I worked in Lexington, Kentucky, it was you know college basketball and horse racing. And then, um, you know, when the NASCAR TV contracts changed in 2001, there were some opportunities. I knew I was working in Lexington at the time, and I was kind of ready for the next market size. And uh, I worked with uh, Gary Johnson, who you probably know works in NASCAR still. Right. Um, on, as a videographer. Right. He was, he and I worked together in Lexington, Kentucky. And he had left, he was actually the sports director at the time, had left to follow his, you know, to cover NASCAR, because that's what he loved doing. So when he left Lexington, the NASCAR beat sort of fell on my lap. And, you know, I covered it, but again, it was like I, I covered everything. Right. So he called me up and said, hey, the show totally NASCAR is, you know, looking for a female, you need to send send a tape. And I'm like, uh, okay, sure, you know, and I, I mean, I, again, I covered it, but not to the degree I obviously do now. Um, but I also didn't hide that. I said, here's what I know, here's what I don't, but I, you know, I will, re- I, everything I did, even when I covered the Derby, I mean, I will research to a fault, you know, to, to cover what I cover. So that was, oh my gosh, 14, 15 years ago now. So I, I guess, safe to say, I guess it's my home now. <laughs> So you you had you attended a race before you covered your first race or was, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah you had okay yeah yep I had been Daytona I'd been to Daytona um, been to the Daytona 500 um, had been to the Kentucky Speedway several times um, that was probably it at that point though some some small tracks uh-huh. um, but especially with you know with Kentucky you know we actually did quite a bit because we would cover the, the Green Brothers um, Jeremy Mayfield the Waltrips you know there was there was a lot of sort of um, a racing landscape there. Right. So that, that sort of helped as well that I kind of had a natural, um, you know, backdrop to sort of pull from. But your introduction to it was, was not really as a fan. It was more as, as, uh, this is your job and you're covering it, right? Yeah, as a yeah. job. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And, and I, I think that's why I enjoy it, you know, because I, to me, it's, um, it's, you're still telling stories, you know, you go back to, yeah, it's a, it's a garage instead of a, a football field, but right. it's still, I mean, I still am so, I guess, drawn to the stories, you know, the the fact that it's the, the crew members are, you know, okay, they're the offensive line or they're the, you know, you, you have, you have just all these different elements to, to a weekend. And as you know, I mean, I never walked out of a racetrack and thought, oh, I got every story. <laughs> you always leave something on the table. There's just so many things to, to talk about or to see. And, and to this day, I mean, I think that's what you... It just never feels like you're done. Yeah, yeah. No, I always feel the same way, um, especially given that I mean, with 40 teams, and really you're only focusing on five or six after a race because you're only you're limited to how many yeah. stories you can really tell and and the immediate aftermath. And I think that is the challenge that we we all face is as as the NASCAR media beat course is trying to make sure that we stay vigilant about staying on top of what the 20th and 25th place teams are doing because yep. unfortunately sometimes they go and by the wayside. I don't know about you, but I, and I would feel bad. Like I would walk out of the track and feel, especially like if I was in the pits and I had these, let's say 12 guys and I, I and a lot of times you could get a lot of those stories on, but I remember, I mean, you would walk out and be like, Oh man, I really didn't give, you know, right. Um, Joey Logano, I didn't, I just didn't get enough on him, or I really left something on the table on that. And you, it was frustrating because you felt like you let them down, or you didn't, you know. Right. And I do think, I mean, as as a as much of a double edged sword as social media is, I do like that there's sort of that now that forum of, you know, if I walk away from a show, I can say, hey, you know, a special nod to to so and so, and just kind of give them something out there, um, just to kind of have another forum to speak and to talk about. But it's a uh, yeah, it just never, you never feel satisfied. 
Yeah. Yeah. Do you find, do you find it's easier though, Krista? Like, as you said, I mean, you started out more kind of on the the pit reporting side and the, the more of the, the, the standard reporter before moving into the, the, the host role. Um, certainly at NBC sports, but even prior to that, when you were at, I know at, at Fox, you had the, the, the setup show with the trucks. Did, did, do you find like you're able to do that better in, in this role versus your old roles as the pit reporter is a little bit easier to, as a host to kind of, to drive the conversation or, or put the spotlight on things that you want to hit? Yeah. Well, I, I feel like I'm better at it. You know, I would, um, I always thought the greatest compliment was when people would tell me, you know, like, oh, we, we assumed you covered racing your whole life. That was, again, that's the greatest compliment because I didn't. You know, I hadn't covered it forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do, I like that I can maybe have a little more, um, yeah, like you said, a little more creative control, a little more time. You know, a pit report is, is 15 seconds and you're talking about the condition of the car or the attitude of the driver behind the wheel. Where, yeah, as, as the host, I can, I can steer the conversation a little more. Um, but again, I feel, definitely feel like my job is nobody wants to hear from me. And I mean that like nobody wants me to talk about what a driver's feeling or what the car's doing. I've got Dale Jarrett and Kyle Petty next to me. Right. You know, my job is to get out of them what fans want to hear or to, to send them in a direction that is interesting and intriguing. So that's, I think that's what makes it really fun. You know, when I sit, when we get done with a show and we're sitting, you know, in the studio talking about something, I mean, the stories those two tell are just so fantastic that at the end of the day, that's my job is to let viewers hear that too, to feel like you're in the living room or at a bar with us um, being a part of those conversations. I think that's what makes our group fun. I think that's what I really like right now with what we have at at NBC is, number one, everyone enjoys each other. Everyone respects each other, and I think that makes a great working environment. But it's just fun. You know, at the end of the day, what we do is fun, and it should be fun for the viewers. And we're not going to get it right all the time. We're going to miss stories. We're going to, um, you know, leave something out. But because so far we have every show we've done, um, I think I can speak for Kyle and Dale. We've enjoyed it. We've enjoyed working together, and we just have a great time. And hopefully that comes across, and hopefully viewers feel a part of that. Oh, I, you know, I think it certainly does. Obviously I'm biased because I'm your your coworkers, but I I feel like not only when I'm watching NASCAR America, but also when I'm in those production meetings on, on race weekends with you and and Kyle and DJ, I really do sense that, that there's a really just good vibe or chemistry to use the cliche, um, amongst that trio, amongst the three of you, did you know immediately that you you guys were going to have that? Did you, did you know? Kyle and DJ well before you guys started working together last year, because it, it really has seemed somewhat seamless the way you guys have come together and worked well. I worked with Kyle a lot, you know, over on uh, Fox and on the speed side, we'd worked on a couple of shows together. So I knew that we would kind of gel or, or had that, that baseline to work from. And even though I had, had known Dale for, for many years and, you know, used to interview him when he was on the track, you know, I hadn't worked with him in this capacity, so I wasn't really sure how that was going to go, but it was literal. I mean, I am not joking. It was the first or second show we all three did together, which would have been, oh my gosh, um, I guess they had 2015 Daytona 500 in the studio. Mm-hmm. And we just knew. I feel like we walked out of there going, that was easy. And I don't mean easy, like easy to do. I mean, the easy in the conversation. You know, it was fun. It was smooth. It was comfortable. There's, I think there's, it just really boils down to there's a respect. You know, I'm always amazed that, you know, here's Dale Jarrett, a Hall of Famer, a Spring Cup Series champion, and he's asking me my opinion or which way or trusting me, you know, with where I'm going to lead him. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's what it boils down to is both of them are just so knowledgeable, but they're also just really nice guys. Right. And, and it makes my job a lot of fun. And I can remember, too, you know, I've been, again, saying 2001 was my first year with Totally NASCAR. Um, 2001 or 2002 and, uh, oh, 2002. Cause we, you and I, that's when you and I met. Right. Right. <laughs> at the yeah, Brickyard so 2002 it, at the, uh, at, at the, at the, the Penske dinner. Yes. <laughs> at a, what was it? A Penske dinner. Penske dinner. Yep. So we sat across from Chris and Conimacki and we were like, Oh my goodness. We are, what are we doing here? Like, how are we in the same room as Chris and Conimacki? <laughs> Yeah, and that's the feeling I often get when I'm on set with you and Kyle and DJ. <laughs> it's like the same thing. Um, yeah. but, but it's so much fun. That's what it's just so much fun. But yeah, I I think sometimes I look around and you know TV. I mean, TV is one of those 
television is one of those industries that changes. You know, it's like a computer. You know, mm-hmm. you have a computer for a couple of years, and all of a sudden your computer's outdated and obsolete. That's, you know, television changes. The way when I first got into business, you know, I was shooting my own stuff on on beta tapes. You know, I was going, running back to the station after a high school football game and editing my own stuff and throwing it into the, you know, into the control room to, to get on the air. Yeah. Well, nowadays, it, it's not specialized. Or, you know what I mean? It's so specialized that I would never... I don't touch the stuff I, you know, like there's an editor, there's a, there's a graphic, you know, there's someone who's doing all of those jobs and it's changed. I wouldn't be able, if I walked into an edit bay right now, I would be completely lost because it's just changed so much. And I think that's what's weird is, you know, I don't feel like I've been in the business that long, but you look around and, and I think when I realized it, it was, you know, just a few, but a month ago or so when, when Prince passed away and I remember asking some of my coworkers, about their favorite Prince song. And they looked at me like I was crazy because they didn't even listen to Prince because they were that young. Right. And I thought, this is insane. You right. know, they, I mean, I don't understand, you know, technology and Snapchat and things, but they don't know Prince. Yeah. So who is really at more of a loss? Yeah. You know? Yeah. How can you not remember where you were the first time you heard Purple Rain or Wind Doves Cry or Let's uh, Go Crazy? Totally. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I can remember what booth I was sitting at with the gymnastics team when I was in fourth, fifth grade. And let's go crazy came on the. <laughs> and did you? I don't even know if you call it a jukebox. I mean, that's. I know that's what it was. But I don't yeah. know if that's. It's like. I mean, that's. It's just crazy. Like, like right now we're talking to each other on a podcast. Right. You know, what, right. Years ago, podcasts didn't weren't around. You know, now they're like the, the new thing. It's um, you just have to be on top of things. It changes really quickly. But for me, I also don't want to lose who I am. I mean, I will always be someone who. I mean, I will always probably have a disc man stuffed in a drawer somewhere <laughs> in my house. And I've, yes, I probably would use it. I certainly have mine and never intend to give it away. Uh, and, and still, I, I, I sold a lot of my CDs that I, I put on um, in MP3s, but like, um, th- there's some that I just, I'm too sentimental. I could, I could never give it up. And if... I ever have a chance to pass them along to kids. It's like, I want to be able to like tell them this is how I used to listen to music when I was your age or whatever. And no, it's a part, it's the same reason Ray Everham keeps, um, or buys car parts. You know, he buys old car parts that he doesn't need because he's, he knows they won't be around someday. No one will ever make one of, one of these again. And so there's just something nostalgic about that. Yeah. And I mean, I'm still a person who I like to read a book. I have a Kindle. I could download, you know, books if I want to. But there's something about the feel of pages and there's something about the, the Sunday newspaper. And I mean, I get it. That's not always going to probably be how it is, but I'm holding on to that, that part of our history, I think for as long as I can. So if that makes me like old, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know, but I still am, I'm fighting Snapchat with everything I have. I mean, I've got Twitter, I've got Instagram, but um, yeah, it's just, it's funny when I, the Prince thing is what threw me off though. And they were like, well, we don't listen to Prince. I'm like, what? <laughs> well, certainly I want to get to some pop culture questions here eventually, eventually, um, and hair metal bands. But, um, I've just got a couple more for you on, on process. Cause I am curious. I, I got to work alongside you a little bit in that, in the trailer and the TV compound a few times last year. And I know, you know, you're, you're writing the scripts for the show, um, ahead of time and, and doing that kind of stuff. How, how else, how do you prepare for hosting a, a NASCAR America weekend show? Krista, I guess what's the balance between, um, getting a feel for directing traffic and knowing how the flow, the rhythm of the show is going to be versus being well-versed in the information or the news being presented or the features, the features are going to be shown during that program. Cause I, I just, you know, obviously I come on, maybe for two minutes and I say like three things. And to me that's overwhelming, but for you, like where you have to like, not just like be cognizant of everything that's going to be talked, talked about in the subject matter. You also have to be cognizant of like how to keep the train on the tracks and keep it all moving in the right direction. How do you, I guess, handle all that? How do you prepare for the show and, and know how to encourage conversation and make it natural without just asking questions, but also be cognizant of everything that's going on with, with ensuring that, that the show runs smoothly. And yeah, and I don't know if I do it the best way, or and it definitely does not always run smoothly. But <laughs> I think it's no matter what you're at the end of the day, you're going to look. I always look back and think, oh, I put too much time into 
the former and not enough time in the latter, you know, or, or vice versa. Because, but you definitely need a balance. You know, I need to know what the storylines are. I need to obviously know a little bit about everything so that if all of a sudden um, something turns, we're still in time, all of a sudden a shot of, you know, it, it, again, you're sort of following cameras, what the director's doing, what they're putting on the screen, but you're also leading that director or what they're putting on the screen by what storylines you bring up. So there's definitely a balance. But, yeah, if all of a sudden Landon Castle pops up on TV, I want to be able to talk to, to Kyle and DJ about, you know, um, I mean, obviously I'm a little biased because he's from Iowa. So, I mean, I could bring that up. We can talk about his, <laughs> you know, his fitness. We can talk about, I mean, talk about a guy who has embraced technology. I mean, the things he does with Periscope, it's hilarious. You know, we can take that in a fun, different direction, but also the fact that he holds his own in a in a race car that you know with a team you know considerably underfunded compared to who he's racing against and holds his own. I mean, we can take that conversation different directions, right. but that's my job is to make sure that no matter what pops up on the screen video wise, I have somewhere to go. You know, where I can or the the, the guys jump in, I can get get in another direction. Right. Um, but I, I, I mean, I research all the time. I mean, I feel like there's, I really do feel like my job um, has a lot of similarities in terms of time management, similarities as a, as a crew chief or crew members in the garage. You know, they work on that car. This, the garage opens at 7 a.m. and closes at 6 p.m. They're working on that car or doing something with that car every minute of the time it's open. I, that's how I feel. Like, I, there's always something. I never feel like the show is everything I want it to be, but at the same time, I've done everything I can with the hours and minutes I've been given to make it hopefully as good as I can, you know, and it's, you always want to research more. There's always something else to look up. There's always maybe like you a pop culture reference I could tie in. If we're in Michigan, there's always, you know, something I could look up about state facts or the area or what's going on in the, in the pulse of that, that city, you know, or that area to really tie it in, um, to, to local fans watching as well. Right. But and I, it's always the struggle of that we've talked about that our industry has right now, bringing in new fans, making it appealing without alienating the hardcore fans. That's, right. That is probably one of the biggest struggles is, especially for us, it'll be coming off the Olympics. You know, in, in August, we're going to have, you know, we're going to have people watching in Bristol who may have never watched a NASCAR race before, but they found us or they're there because they just got done watching gymnastics or track and field and what can we do to make nascar appealing but if you're a hardcore fan watching you're probably going to get a little frustrated because we're focusing on you know the the driver's wives or the latest controversy or whatever sort of got the sizzle you know right. at, at that moment and that's hard i mean that's hard but hopefully people understand why we're doing it you know you have to build the sport we want new fans to love it the way old fans do so that they go to the races, they watch, they bring in their, you know, they bring their kids into the mix. It's, it's an ongoing battle. Yeah. What, what do you think went well, um, in the first season, uh, with, with NBC sports last year? And, and what do you think you, you want to improve? What, what, where do you think the show will, will maybe go in d- different or expansive directions, uh, this year? Yeah, I think overall, I mean, for, for all of our group, you know, everything was new last year, new people, new groups working together. So I think not just the show at the track, but NASCAR America, I think is improving or just finding it's finding its legs. You know, it was, it's, um, you know, what's important, what do fans want to see? How do you bring in social media? How do you tell stories, um, have conversations, you know, all of that. I think one thing that we came off of, you know, looking back, kind of going backwards on the season, you know, Homestead, we had so, I mean, four fantastic championship contender storylines. You know, I can't think of a better four in terms of, of drama and human interest and just the storylines. Obviously, you don't have Gordon anymore, but the the competition on the track has been better than ever. So we go into hopefully, you know, our half of the season riding that momentum. Um, I think it's still just bringing viewers to the track. I think that's what I want to do a better job at. I think that's what our group needs to do a better job at, and I think we will, of, you know, showing the – Gosh, for me, it's like, you know, at, at Martinsville, you know, showing how the fans line up, um, you know, the, the walk or the golf cart ride from the from the driver-owner lot into the tunnel at Martinsville. I mean, if you've never been to Martinsville, you wouldn't know that fans are there hours before the garage opens just in case Carl Edwards drives by on a golf cart. Right. You know, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, right. we see it at Bristol with the way they're lined up. That's, that's part of the flavor of those tracks. 
so we, I think, as a as a broadcast group, have to show that so that maybe a fan watching at home says, I want to go there. I want to be a part of that. And then and you might say, well, why would you want them there? Don't you want them watching on TV? Well, yeah, if they can't make it to the track, of course, we want them watching on TV. But I think you get them to the track, they become even more of a fan because now they have the experience. Now they're going to watch every week because they're a part of it. They're part of the family. They're part of the conversation. Right. But you can tell. I mean, I... I get so impassioned about it because I love it so much. Like, I love <laughs> what we do. You know, it's crazy that I, say, I, I sit next to a Petty and a Jarrett and I talk about NASCAR. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good day at that's, the office. <laughs> probably. I, I know I've read quotes from you saying that it's not lost on you that this is probably what a lot of people in the world would want to do is to sit next to two guys with those surnames and talk NASCAR. And, uh, I think you certainly have an appreciation for it, which is, which is good. Um, as you mentioned, like, I think it's, those are great behind the scenes stories, um, at Martinsville at Bristol that, that you can tell that, that get people involved. I think another way that we can, we, we get people involved in NASCAR is by, by showing the personalities, um, behind the drivers or the, 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 the team, the key members of teams. And, uh, I, I'm going to shift this toward your personality if that's okay. Cause I'm, I'm curious about, um, Krista and, and where you came from. Um, because again, I think that helps with, with the storytelling. So, um, Iowa is, uh, a, a big topic this week because of course, Xfinity and trucks at Iowa Speedway. You were from there. Um, tell me about growing up in, is it Clinton? Is that Am I pronouncing it Clinton, yeah. Clinton, that's, okay. Yep. That's my hometown, Clinton, Iowa. It is as far east in Iowa as you can go. So if you're looking at a, at a the state of Iowa on a map, and there's kind of the, the bump that goes out on the eastern side, right on the Mississippi River. That's my hometown. So, yeah, I mean, any time the races would go to the Iowa Speedway, and it used, I used to go there for the truck races, I sort of felt a responsibility to, to help the track or promote the races in any way I could. Mm-hmm. So for a while there, I would write sort of guest articles or guest commentary for the Des Moines Register. Um, they would do some articles on me and, you know, where I grew up. And it, it was fun because, I, again, I, I love going to the track. I love how the fans get behind it, um, the ownership there. It's just, it felt like, I mean, it felt like home because it was home for me, you know, yeah. and I, I felt that way when I would go there. Because, um, you know, growing up in Iowa, we don't have, people forget, we don't have a professional sports team that calls Iowa home. Right. You know, there, there's not, I mean, the closest thing you have are the Iowa Cubs, which is a minor league team in, in Des Moines. Right. So fans or people from Iowa take ownership over anything they can call their own. It's why Iowa wrestling, you know, they, they, have, they pack Carver Hawkeye Arena for Iowa wrestling. I mean, the, it's like college football. People go nuts. They travel in, in, you know, like crazy to the Rose Bowl last year because people love their sports and that's what they have to call their own. Same with the Iowa Speedway. You know, people I work with who had no reference or, you know, experience in Iowa, we would cover these races and they would be amazed that there were so many fans and that fans were so excited and nice and hospitable. And right. it's because they love it, you so, know, and I, I love that Iowa fans still have that passion. So it's sort of that the track sort of that was my next question actually was that the track sort of has given the state maybe more of an identity in terms of a professional like a professional type sport quasi sport versus the the University of Iowa and Iowa State and all the the things they normally rally, rally around this is kind of a chance to rally around something different that that maybe puts it in that uh, major league strata in a way. And I think too, you know, I, what I've noticed going there, the tailgating in Iowa is an art form. You know, people go to, to, like you said, the football games, and it is, it's the experience. It's not just the game. They don't show up for the game and then go home. It's, it's tailgating, and that's how they treat the racing, too. There's tents and flags, and people are there grilling, and, and that's where you get that sort of um, neighborhood feel because everyone's excited to be there, and it's, it's a part of it. And it's, it's a great time. And I know that, I mean, the Iowa State Fair, which goes on in August, that was a huge deal growing up. Yeah. And it's, yes, it's, yes, it's rural. A lot of people, you know, are still in the hometown, still in the house they grew up in. And there's something really nice about that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't know if I could still live in the house I grew up in. But <laughs> um, I, lo- I love going back. But yeah. that's why. Because I left and realized how great it was to grow up there, you know, and how great it was to, to, to live somewhere where 
you walk down the street and someone is walking, you wave to them. You don't move to the other side of the street. You don't move to the other side of the sidewalk. You wave and say hello and ask how their day is. And I, again, if our world had a little bit more of that, maybe we'd be in a in a better position. But it's um, that will always be Iowa will always be home. Yeah. Well, I I did some research on Clinton and I found that the city motto is so many things to do with a river view. So, um, how, right. how can you go wrong with that? Is it, does it sit hard on the Mississippi? Is that sort of where it's located? Yeah. So, yes. So I don't know if this is still the case, but Eagle Point Park, which is the park in the North end of town has like an overlook, um, where you can, and it's, it, they always told, growing up, we were always told that was the widest part of the Mississippi river. I don't know if that's true or if that's just <laughs> what they told us as kids on field trips to really like impress us. But, um, it's real, I mean, for me, like bald eagles, like seeing a bald eagle is so such a normal thing. I mean, you would, in the winter, you'll walk the, the river walk, and it's, I mean, you'd see 40. Like, yeah, 40 bald. I mean, it's it's just beautiful. It's, um, I mean, yeah, there's just something about it. So it's, um, it's fantastic. But my hometown does smell. I will say that. <laughs> That's generally the way it works in the Midwest. It's, it's something you just have to live it's with. It's industrial. It's, there's a, yeah, there's a couple of plants. There's a corn processing plant, a dog food plant. So it's very industrial. Um, so that's actually, Ashton Kutcher told me that at the Daytona 500 when I interviewed him. I said, I'm from Iowa. He said, oh, we're from. And I said, I'm from Clinton. He said, your town stinks. And I said, I know, but yours, I told him, I said, yours smells like oatmeal because there's a, the Quaker Oats plant is in Cedar Rapids. Ah, so okay. that was our conversation was we made fun of the smell of each other's town. That's, that's something to, to tease, tease another person about from Iowa, I suppose. I think I'd go with the industrial um, odor myself, Krista. I think I'd be more of a, fa- a fan of Clinton than, than Quaker Oats. Um, hey, that, yeah. <laughs> so naturally, I've got to ask, um, and I don't know if I've ever heard the origins of your love of hair metal, uh, but how does someone who grows up in Clinton, Iowa, be, be, become such a fan of Bon Jovi and bands of that ilk? <laughs> I know. I don't know. I remember. I can still remember. So my first Bon Jovi concert was at Carver Hawkeye Arena, which is where the Iowa Hawkeyes play. <laughs> Um, freshman year in high school. So, of course, a parent had to drive us. There were, like, four of us. And so we, somebody's mom was there with us, but we made them sit, like, on another side of the arena so that we could be cool. And, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've always been drawn to, like, the hair bands. I mean, I still, that's the radio. I mean, I know I'm supposed to, my first spot on, like, Sirius XM is supposed to be the NASCAR channel. And trust me, it's programmed in. It's probably my second stop. But the first thing I'm going to hit is Hair Nation. So I got yeah, Trickster, Slaughter, Firehouse, Warrant, Winger. I mean, that's that's my wheelhouse. And I feel like there was no moment that perhaps, well, this is, there are many moments that made me more proud of my daughter. But we were in the car one day, and Emmy says, Mommy, sing the Hold On song. I said, what do you, what do you mean the Hold On song? <laughs> and she said, Hold On. And I said, to what we've got. She started singing Bon Jovi without it being on the radio. And I turned to her and I said, oh, you have never been more my daughter than in this moment. And it was it was a beautiful thing. She's going to be a child of the mid to late 80s, early 90s music scene, just like mom. That's uh, she know, I know. We listen to Hair Nation. I mean, I don't I don't want like parents to be like, that's here. I mean, we listen to like the kids channel, too. But she loves Bon Jovi. I mean, she doesn't have a choice. But she knows living on a prayer. We have a whole routine that we do to living on a prayer. That's great. Um, I'm afraid I've got to ask this one, Krista. Uh, I don't know if you, you watch much t- television, but lately uh, your man Bon Jovi has become somewhat ubiquitous with this uh, commercial that he's in all the time. <laughs> how does a Bon Jovi fan feel about seeing their hero shilling? And for... you know how many people have texted me about that? Like, <laughs> how, do you, how do you feel about this? My wife okay, brings it up all the time. Like she sings that jingle because of him, and I'm like, I got to ask Krista how she feels about this. I know. <laughs> I feel like I, so I'm representing, I'm like the representative of all Bon Jovi fans. Um, so I, at first it didn't bother me just because I'd get to see him and I thought that was cool. And for the record, I like John, but Tico <laughs> is my man. Tico Torres, oh, okay. the drummer. All right, the drummer, right. Is, yeah, the drummer is my main guy there. But I, so at first it didn't bother me, but then I, the more it's on, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not liking this as much. So... <laughs> But it does, it, but it has helped me with Emmy because she is now seen. So when I, when he pops up on the commercial, I say, Emmy, that's Bon Jovi. 
that's the guy we sing. You know, that's what he sings the songs that we sing. Right. So it's given her some name face recognition. So it's not all bad. Okay. All right. Well, that's good that we can have some positive takeaways from that. Uh, last question about Iowa. Um, I know you, you grew up as an athlete and you played, I think, volleyball, basketball. You did track. Were you aware of racing in the, the state while you were growing up? Because I know, obviously, the Iowa Speedway wasn't there at that point, but there's all the open wheel racing that goes along. We, we, did you know about it? Did you go to any short track races when you were a kid? Yeah, I mean, we, I would go to, I mean, not really. Like, honestly, it was, I knew that it was there, but it was just, my world was school, job, and track, or school, job, volleyball. You know, it was, mm-hmm. it was not part of my world. So now I have so much more of an appreciation for it when, when someone writes, or even if I see a press release or I see something with, like, Hawkeye Downs or, you know, something about Iowa in it in terms of, like, local short tracks, it, it appeals to me so much more than it did then. And I, I you know, that's one thing I wish I would have, you know, been more involved with it then because I probably would have found a love for motorsports sooner than I did. But, it, yeah, it, was, it just wasn't in my sort of daily, daily grind. Um, but there's definitely a lot. I mean, there are a lot. And now living in Pittsburgh, there's... um you know, like Lernerville Speedway, I'll go, you know, go there a few times a summer. Uh, it's just, there's just so many great little short tracks. And, and now we, that's what I like too. We see the NASCAR where these drivers are going back to their roots or owning teams, you know, Casey Kane and Clint Boyer and, you know, Kyle Larson racing on weekends. It, it really, I think, brings the sport to, um, you know, on a, on a Tuesday night or on a Friday night to, to this whole world that, that maybe says, hey, that guy races, you know, he's the elite. Let's let's see if we can get to that level. Right, right. Definitely important to, to give back in that way and be cognizant of, of where you came from. Um, speaking of race teams, I know that you have been involved in a race team as well with, with PK's uh, racing <laughs> and tractor pulling, uh, as, it, as it were, I guess, a, a form of racing. Uh, w- what are his plans for, uh, for, for this year? And will, will, will the Kelly family still be out racing together? Oh, Nate, this could be a whole nother show. <laughs> like the, the red, so it's the, the Red-Blooded Binder. So you can go to the Red-Blooded Binder Facebook page and like the, the, um, the polling team. Yeah, I grew up in Iowa, and I literally had no, like, farming was not part of our, I mean, I was a townie. They call, you know, you either lived in the country or you lived in town. I was a townie. So all of my roommates in college, like, had, you know, farming backgrounds, and their family farmed, and they, you know, they lived and breathed by the harvest schedule, and, and I didn't. And now here I am. I moved to Pittsburgh and had marry, marry a farmer. So he tractor pulls competitively won the championship last year as a rookie in the um, NTPA, which is National Tractor Pullers Association. So it's the accredited um, you know, organization and won the championship in, I, I should know this, and I'm going to get the strong region. Oh, it's region four or region five. I think it's region five, um, super farm champion. So he goes all over, like pulls in North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Iowa, Wisconsin, and I go on as many of those trips as I can, myself and our daughter, and we are his crew when we can. And yeah, he'll be he'll be pulled, trying to defend his title this year. And we just got back from a two week trip in North Carolina, and um, I was uh, promoted to air pressures, so I would <laughs> I would do his air. Uh, my jobs are. I didn't know well, you I were on the road the crew. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, I'm on, I'm on the road crew. Yeah. Um, I, I believe if I'm there, when it's just me and the, my, our daughter, I think I might be the crew chief, actually, which is really scary. <laughs> so my job, it's, it's like a drag car in the sense that you don't, you, it gets towed to the line, like to the scales and to inspection and all that stuff. So my job, I have the Ranger, like a side-by-side Polaris, and I pull him out of the trailer and then pull him to the line, to the scales and stuff. And I got in trouble this last time because I was waving and talking to too many people and I wasn't focused and I didn't pull him, like get him to the exact spot he needed to go. So I got in trouble for that. And then, um, yeah, I got promoted to air pressures, which was going really well until our third crew member um, needed to use the bathroom. So that took precedence. Because when you have a two-year-old, you sort of like air pressures take, you know, are not as important as getting the toddler to the bathroom on time. Gotcha. Okay. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a lot to juggle during the course of a race. I think it's well. What's funny is people think so. This is my I daily, probably well weekly, but probably daily. I have the, the image or the thought that people think 
that because I'm on television, like, oh, she must have it all together. Like, she has got it. <laughs> she is put together and has it going on. That could not be further from the truth. Like, I am a hot mess all the time. Like, I am running out the door, dropping something. Like, like it's just hilarious how not put together I am. And I'm always amazed when you see, like, and again, this is going back to that social media is a double-edged sword. Like, people will post these perfect pictures of themselves with their kids, like, where they have makeup on. And, like, the, the adult, the woman has makeup on and her hair is brushed. And the child is is like not does not have grass stains on them. Right. I'm like, how is that possible? Because I am like, how do they have good hair and makeup? You don't have time for both. How is that possible? <laughs> so I'm always like, what am I doing wrong? You know, what am I? It's but I think that's one thing with parenthood that I've learned is I fail daily. Like there is something I fail at daily. Yes. But I also succeed daily. Like I'm also doing something right. So it's. I've had to um, learn to, to not be so hard on myself that, like, I mean, we were just at a truck pull. We were actually at a semi-truck pull over the weekend, and my daughter is filling her cowboy boots because she has the cutest little cowboy boots in the world. And she is, like, sitting on the ground, filling them with dirt, and then dumping them out. And I thought, that would normally, like, I'm pretty, like, orderly and, like, neat, and and I thought, that would normally drive me crazy. But she's a kid, and she is having so much fun playing in the dirt. So she got to, I let her, I said, do it again, do it again. Let me see. And so she was filling up her, her cowgirl boots with, with dirt and then proceeding to dump it all over herself. I, I think Emerson is, is being raised well. I'm sure she's having a very uh, uh, fruitful childhood in terms of being exposed to all sorts of things <laughs> um, on the road, whether it's in NASCAR or at tractor pulling or, or whatnot. Um, for somebody who, who claims not to have it together, you've got the rest of us fooled, Krista. I think you're doing well with that. And by the way, I don't think I think anybody who claims to have it all together is obviously um, probably fibbing a little bit. Uh, none of us do, and I think you're doing a great job with what you've got. I've got one more for you. Obviously, we we know you're going to be hosting NASCAR America uh, this year, and uh, as you mentioned, the Olympics are going to be coming through in August. NBC Sports, of course, we will be doing that as well. Uh, I know you're not going to be involved with that this time around, but I happen to find this quote from you that, that, that uh, struck my eye, which was that um, that's an event that you would you said you would love to do eventually. Um, is that oh, on I your would. radar yeah, screen? Yeah, I would love to. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it's really up to the bosses. You know, like, I am game. I would love to. Um, but at the same time, I mean, NASCAR is my, my focus. And I, I would never want to spread myself too thin. And obviously, being being a mom, like it's it's hard to be everywhere. I already feel like, you know, I, I travel a lot. You know, it's it's. But yes, to cover an Olympics and to tell those stories and to be a part of that would be amazing. So I am definitely I am definitely game for it. You know, I would love to go back a little bit to do some of the horse racing that I really? did in the huh. past. You know, yeah. that's yeah. Because I cover. I mean, I watch the the Derby coverage like like a nut. Like I you know watch the whole thing and get into it. So I think there's definitely, you know, potential or avenues for me to contribute in different ways to the company. And I'm game for that. But at the same time, I don't, you know, it's, I definitely do not want to be like, Hey, I want to do all of this. And Oh yeah, you hired me for NASCAR and that's, you know, I, I'm, right. I'm cognizant of where, you know, where do I need to be? And yeah, with the summer Olympics happening at the same time that we're, you know, we're in Bristol, we're in Michigan, we're walking Glen. I mean, that's, that's where I'll be. So it's, but it's, it's exciting to be in a building. Like even right now, when I go to NBC Sports today to the building, you know that's where all the Olympic madness takes place. You know, at, at 3 a.m. in the middle of August, you know people will be you know editing highlights and taking in feeds, and there'll be you know a guy voicing tennis in one room and a guy doing golf in another. And, you know, it's it's exciting to to be, just be in the building and to kind of see that energy. Um, that's really been going on, you know, for the last year in terms of the, the planning and, and all the, the logistics. I saw there's a board I walk past every day when I go to work and it has this little dry erase board. It's in like one of the offices and it says, you know, X you know, number of days to Rio. And I can remember being here, you know, that number used to be triple digits. And the other day, last week when I was in, it was 59, wow. you know, and you're like, holy cow, that's, yeah. you know, that's crazy. So it's, it's a really great company to be a part of and the, the energy is awesome. And I mean, for me, they're coming off Stanley Cup finals, and now we've got NASCAR coming up and the Olympics. It's just, it's a great storytelling place to be. Yeah. 
I love going up to Stanford. It's it's been a while since I've had the chance, so I'm I'm jealous that, that you're heading in there uh, to do NASCAR America, and and I spent a few more days there this week during the show. I'm sure, uh, like you said, there's there's an energy and a buzz in there that's a lot of fun. Um, we'll let you get to it. I don't want to keep you too much longer. I really appreciate well, you have, taking so much time. I have one more. Do you have do you have, do you have time for one absolutely? More? Yeah. Okay, so I just thought of this because you know thinking of horse racing and Olympics and um, Bob Costas, you know, obviously is a huge name and, and um, voice with, with NBC Sports. So when, in college, I mean, I always knew I wanted to work in broadcast journalism, and I was a broadcast journalism major. So we would go out in college. There's like five of us that lived in a house, five girls. And before we went out for the night, we would write messages on the dry erase board that we wanted to see when we walked in, knowing that when we come back in a few hours, we may be in a slightly different state of mind. Um, so... <laughs> that perhaps we would believe or be really excited to see these messages on the board. So my roommates would always write, like, whatever guy they were interested, you know, like, oh, Mark called, or, you know, so-and-so, you know, you know, wants to date tomorrow night or whatever. And I would always write, this is, this is so, this is a very um, personal glimpse into my life. <laughs> I would write, um, Bob Costas called, the plane is picking you up at midnight. You're doing a game tomorrow. <laughs> that would be my message. So, and they would make fun of me for it because mine always had to do with work, you know. And, but it, it's true. Like Bob Costas was my like sort of, you know, that was the guy. That was the voice that, that right. I listened to and, and followed. So right. it's funny now. I mean, I, I don't see him in the building. I mean, obviously, um, you know, we're up in, in Stanford, Connecticut, and uh, I know he does a lot of stuff in New York. But it's just funny that oh my gosh, like there's at some point our paths are paths are probably going to cross and that story is somehow going to come up that um that was the message i wrote on the dry erase board when i was a junior (laughs) senior in university of northern iowa it's like you had a premonition back all those years that this is where where things would end up that's pretty cool i you know growing up as a kid i was always in we were always an NBC family like i grew up watching John Chancellor, Tom Brokaw, Nightly News, and and certainly Bob Costas was a part. Of, I think anybody our age who like grew up in the '80s um, certainly remembers his rise to prominence as as one of the leading sports announcers. And um, I think it's cool that yeah that, that that like he's a part of it, and your paths probably will cross at some point. That is pretty neat. I hope you tell him about the dry erase board. <laughs> I know. It's so that's that's so telling, but that is a true true story. And I would not be a good tractor pulling wife if I talked about the red blooded binder and I did not mention that it's sponsored by Molly. So the Molly that you know in NASCAR, M A H L E, Molly Clevite, the old Clevite company, that is um, the sponsor for the red blooded binder. So gotcha. Okay. How's that for? So I you know I gotta thank the boys back at the shop <laughs> all the time. It's like a victory lane interview, and you're just you're, you're rattling them off. I gotta say, like you know. Joey Logano had to reach deep yesterday uh, at Michigan to to nail his. I, like whenever I watch drivers do the the, the sponsor recitation in Victory Lane, I, sometimes I think it's almost like sticking a landing off of like a vault event in gymnastics or something like that. And um, he had to struggle to stick that landing. I, I felt like that was you did a little bit more effortlessly there, um, Krista, with with working those sponsor plugs in. So. PK would be proud. I, well, I mean, I definitely am not. I, I'm not at Carl Edwards' stat. You, know, Carl, <laughs> always works them in so organically and like so, like oh, it's a part of the sentence. Yeah, mine was a little more forced, but yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't didn't get that in. I'd actually be in, in probably in trouble. That's oh, that's one of my other jobs. I hang up the um the Molly banner in the in the trailer sometimes, <laughs> and that goes up before the disco. There's also a disco ball that goes up so that if it's a late night poll and the guys are sitting around the trailer, there's like disco lights. Ah, that okay. happened too. So it's it's a party on wheels. Setting the mood uh, post race, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, um, I think we're going to have to have you back to talk about life on the road with Emerson and um, being PK's crew chief at some point. So um, we'll we'll end it here, but with the understanding that at some point this summer we will get together in the compound and we'll, we'll talk about where PK's racing is and, and how that's impacting your life. Thanks again for being on Krista. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Nate. We appreciate Krista Voda for joining us on the NASCAR and NBC podcast. You again can catch her on NASCAR America, which just moved to a new permanent weekday time slot of 6 PM. When NBC picks up the NASCAR broadcast schedule again next month at Daytona National Speedway, NASCAR America will also air on race weekends 
and Krista will host all of those, usually appearing with Kyle Petty and Dale Jarrett. Thanks as well to Tess Quinlan for producing the podcast. This episode and all of the rest are available on Audioboom and Stitcher, thanks to Tess. You also can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes for automatic downloads of new episodes. Also, check out the NBC Sports Podcast lineup for more content, particularly the Pawscast with the fabulous sports writer Joe Posnanski. He currently has a great interview with one of my favorite actors, Joe Montagna, who also is a true blue Chicago Cubs fan. And there is more great stuff to come this week on the Pawscast. So keep an eye on that here at NBCSports.com or all of the places I just mentioned. We'll have another NASCAR NBC podcast episode next week with A.J. Allmendinger as the Sprint Cup circuit heads to Sonoma Raceway for its first of two road course events this season. A.J. swept the road course pole positions last season, so we'll ask him about that and much more. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.